Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, church family, we're going to do something a little different today. Um, You're going to stand for the duration of the whole sermon. Uh, which is probably going to be a very short sermon, so lucky you. Uh, so, but before we jump into the preaching of the gospel today, uh, I want to invite you just to take a moment to remember that liturgy means the work of the people. Say hi to somebody around, and, uh, and then we'll jump in in just a minute. Okay, um, hey, tell you what, for those of you in the back, start moving forward. We're going to be together today. Like, seriously, let's go, like, let's go. Let's go. Let's all kind of be together. Come on, you two, Greg, let's go. I'm talking to you. Let's go. Let's try to be together. Unless you're uh, needing to not be around people uh, for whatever. If you're sick, go to the balcony. Um, but let's try to be together a little more. Okay, thanks for doing that. I know, like, we church people, we get, like, in our, like, little routines, and we sit in the same spot every week, and if someone accidentally shows up and is visiting and sits in your seat, it's like a sin. But, you know, thanks for doing this. Like, let's be together. Um, I need to be with you, and I want to, I just want to be here down with you today. Um, about three years ago, I started doing my week different. Um, I, um, I do one thing a day. One is because I have like monkey mind. Some of you are like that, you have like ADD, and it's like, oh, squirrel, or whatever, you know. Um, that's me, for sure. Uh, but then I also realized, as a pastor, nothing ever feels done. Like my sermon's never, ever done. If you've ever had to like teach a Bible study or anything, you know, it's like, uh, there's always more to do. And any line of work can feel that way. If you're a stay-at-home parent, there's always something else to do around the house. It just doesn't matter the line of work you're in. Things just don't feel done. So for me, I had to start finding a way to like find a sense of like, I'm done with today, like I've accomplished the task, <laughs> you know? So I had to do just one thing a day. So for me, Sundays are, you guys are here for. Uh, but then Monday, I do meetings all day on Monday. Tuesday is my day to write sermons. Wednesday is a planning day. Thursday is people day. So I just spend the whole day with people from top to bottom on Thursdays. Well, if things don't go good on Tuesday, (laughs) I'm so screwed for the rest of the week. I have to actually finish my work. You know what I mean? So sometimes I'll just sit there and stare at a blank page. Um, I think it was... uh, Jerry Seinfeld one time talked about like why he uses a a yellow uh, legal pad to write his jokes. It's because he couldn't stand the fact of opening a laptop screen and the little cursor is there just blinking at you going like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Say something. He was like, ah, and it's just this fight. I feel that way with with my computer and so I I do that kind of thing as well. So anyway, but if I don't get the sermon done by like five o'clock, I'm like texting Jana and I'm like, Babe, uh, she doesn't cook. God bless her. She, that, means, that means she's going to order pizza for her and the kids. And uh, like, I'll be home when I get home. And so sometimes it's a little later. And you, know, you, just, you just have to wait until, until you're actually present 
in the text and not just like trying to disseminate like theological data. Like the last thing, Jack, like you need is just like theological data. You go to Christian school for goodness sake. Like you don't need a lot of data. You need to be present to God in the same way that I need to be present to God. So Tuesday was terrible. Like it was one of those days where I'm not getting anywhere for any number of reasons. And it was hard. It was just hard to write. And then um, part of it was because it was my own, I was my own fault. I was listening to uh, This Will Destroy You, which is an instrumental band. I was listening to that in a coffee shop. I was like, I'm not helping myself at all. It took me four hours to catch on to that. Anyway, um, and, but it was hard to write. I mean, the sermon today is on the people were praising God, and I didn't feel like praising God at all on Tuesday. I just didn't. And you know when you open the Bible and you find that moment, you're like, I wish I felt that way. I don't. It's kind of common for Christians. Um, It was hard. Today is a hard day for me to praise God, or a little harder. Uh, Today marks 14 years ago where my my, my dad, many of you know, he, he suddenly passed away. He was 56. I was 28. And, um, and so to praise him in the valley is, um, is a little harder. You have to dig a little deeper and you have to find out, like, what do I actually believe? Because if my faith is genuinely just riding on my circumstance, that's not faith. That's just circumstantial praise, which is, it's all, like, you know, hollow in the end. So if you were to answer the question today, my life exists to or for blank. How do you honestly answer that question? Like, how do you, like, really? Not, don't, like, the church answer stuff. Like, why do you live? Like, why are you, what does your life, what's the point of, of every day? I heard somebody asking that question yesterday on NPR, driving around, going, what's the point? I just get up, I eat the same things, I go to the same restaurants or whatever, I, I do a job, I go to back to my same address, I live with my same family, I have the same friends, I do the same thing every single day. What's the point I just do that for 29,000 days if I get 80 years and then I die? Like, what's the point? How do you answer your blank? Like, what's that, the purpose of my life is blank. You have to answer that not when this, like DJ Khaled says, like the sun is shining on you, (laughs) St. Khaled. But like truly, you answer that in the valley. You answer that oftentimes in the dumps when you're confused and when you're disoriented. That's when you start to fill in that real blank, the real self. And it's the thing that doesn't make the highlight real. It's the thing, most of your wins, the most important wins of your life are the ones no one sees anyway. You know that to be true. It's called integrity. So how do you answer that? Here's what I want to say to you today. Your life is your theological position. Your life. Not the doctrinal statement that you sign when you become a member of a church. Sure, that's important. And for some of us, we've studied theology to the nth degree. And... It all really doesn't, it doesn't boil down to your systematics. It boils down to your life. Your life is your theological position, how you talk, how you feel, how you live, 
how you treat someone. Your life is your actual, you know what I'm saying? Your life is your theological position. Faith without works is dead, is how James would say it, or Jesus would say, you keep studying the Bible and you keep thinking that in these words you have eternal life. You don't have eternal life in this. They testify of me. If you understood this, you would come to me. Yeah. So your life is your theological position. How are your knees? Everybody okay? Bend them. Don't fall down like people do in wedding videos or whatever. You're like, oh my gosh. Don't lock your knees. Okay. So I'm like 0.4 out of whatever this is. Okay. Not many. So in the context of the book of Acts that we've been walking through, the people had been gathered together at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come down on the church because of the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. The Jews that had gathered to faithfully worship God for thousands of years had now come together. Jesus, the Messiah, was sent. He triumphed over the grave, and now he was Lord and King and Christ, ruler of all creation, more exalted than Caesar himself. In fact, he had claimed to be one with God and proved it. He was God's very son. And so the church had gathered in homes. They were taking communion together in worship. They were listening to the apostles' teaching. They were having everything in common. Not one person was going without because the Christians had decided there's something greater to live for in this world. It's Jesus himself and it's to his glory. And so my stuff is just my stuff. You can have my stuff. Gosh, it's just beautiful. You read it and you're like, that's it. That's it. It's, 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 a thing. it's what our world actually aches for constantly. And so then it finishes, of course, with this like amazing crescendo. Luke is writing and he tells Theophilus, and they were praising God. Not because their circumstances were about to be easy. They were about to become miserable the violent Jewish party that had just put Christ to death hadn't converted. They knew it was about to get very hard. And they knew that Rome wouldn't take kindly to someone else calling somebody else Lord other than Caesar himself. They knew it was going to be hard, but their praise rose up. They rose from within because they had seen Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected that they knew that regardless of the circumstance that they were about to walk into, they saw that Jesus himself had already made a way. He had carved out a path for them to be completely, permanently, forever reconciled to God. And no matter what was about to come their way, Jesus was going to hold them together. So they rose up in praise. I want to read you Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom will I be afraid when evildoers assail me and they rise up to devour my flesh and my adversaries, my foes? It's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me. I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord and one thing I will seek after. This is how they fill in the blank. Your life is your theological position that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now 
my head shall be lifted up my, above my enemies all around me. I shall offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This is it. Scott, we were talking about this a few days ago around the dining table. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out, be gracious, seek my fa- be gracious and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you know that's the invitation of the creator of the universe this morning? Who let the snow fall? Is <laughs> saying to us, each of us, seek my face. My heart says, I will, I will seek your face. I will seek you. I will seek you. Let me read you just from Psalm 40. We're almost done. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. For those of you that are weary, God is still interested in putting a new song in your mouth, a new one. Here's what I've found in the 20... I think six years that I've known Jesus, that each time I show up to him, sometimes I will show up to him with my, when I'm burned out, I will show up with like my script of last time, how he talked to me. And I'll say, hey, remember when you said it this way? Could you meet me there again? And oftentimes he says, no, we're gonna do it a little different this time. I got a new song for you today. Stick around. I have a melody for, for you, but you have to sit with me for a minute to learn this melody, a new song. So perhaps if you're weary in your faith this morning, I want to encourage you to kind of drop your script and go, you, you fill in the blank, Jesus. How would you like to commune with me? Okay. Romans 11, the doxology. Here's what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. How inscrutable are his ways. Who's the known, the mind of the Lord, and who has been his counselor? Who's given a gift to God that God might repay the man? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay? Now, this word, inscrutable, that's not a word any of us use, I don't think. (laughs) How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. The word inscrutable is actually a hunting term. And I asked my friend um, Adam Lewis about 14 years ago about what this word meant. He's a hunter. And so he's he's a hunter. He's a professional huntsman. He takes guys on trips to, you know, South Africa and all over the world. And they hunt all kinds of wild game and stuff. He is a man's man. He built his own house with his bare hands, chopped all the trees down himself. Like, when I say man's man, the dude is tough. And he's the most gentle guy you'd ever meet. But I asked him, I was like, why? I didn't understand, like, the Greek word. It just had this little reference, hunting term. And I'm like, do you know what this could mean, dude? And he goes, yeah. It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. I said, what is that? He goes, well... You know, if you're, gonna, if you're hunting deer, oftentimes you're hunting early in the morning or at dusk. And if you get a deer and you, sh- you, know, you fire your bow and it takes off running, 
You already know where this is going. You hunt, don't you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you trek the deer sometimes all night. You have to get like expensive dogs. Oftentimes a lot of, you know, have a few hunters with you and you're tracking all night long. And sometimes you'll be trekking three, four, five hours and all of a sudden you lose the trail. Tell me I'm lying. <laughs> and it, all of a sudden, where'd the deer go? We've been tracking this deer all night. Paul says it like this. In Romans 11, after 11 chapters of theology, Paul goes, how unsearchable are his ways? How inscrutable. I feel like I'm trekking and then all of a sudden he's gone. I thought I had him figured out. That's what drove Paul to his knees in worship. Evelyn Underhill said, if God were so small to be understood, he would not be big enough for my worship. How unsearchable are his judgments. John the Baptist in John chapter three was approached when everyone started to leave John the Baptist and he went and started to follow Jesus and they went to John and they said, look, everybody's gone after him. And what did John say? He must, yeah, someone fill it in. I know one of y'all been to church. He must increase in what? And I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. My life is a magnifying glass and I will either hold that up to the mirror or I will put it on Christ himself. He must increase and I must decrease. That's actually at the heart of what worship is. We exist to the glory of the King. C.S. Lewis, let me find my phone. I promise I'm almost done. Well, maybe, yeah, here it is. Listen to this. In mere Christianity, this is what C.S. Lewis said. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. Just as it's easy to think that the state has a lot of different objects. Military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way... Things are much simpler than that. The state exists simply to promote and protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub, a man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That's what the state's here for. And unless they're helping increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christs. So not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. All of it's a waste of time if we aren't gathered to be conformed more into the image of Jesus. That's at the heart of what it is to praise and to worship Jesus. So here's your application. It follows the doxology. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
If you want to know how your worship is supposed to sound, it's like that. Presenting your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable or spiritual act of worship. The word of the Lord. Amen to the king. Okay, so with that being said, I want to invite our communion servers to take their place. And as they do, I want to remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke his body, he broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. He poured wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you. It is the new covenant, just the forgiveness of sins. As you take communion today, Maybe don't take it and eat immediately as the communion servers give it to you. Maybe take it back to your seat and then sit down. And in a posture of rest, receive communion going, I can sit down because the king has conquered my sin and my king sits on his throne and I am made right with him, okay? So with that being said, come receive communion whenever you're ready.